Okay, let's go to God in prayer. Dear loving and heavenly Father, as we come before you today, truly we pray that as we open your word fresh, that uh, as we look at these familiar passages for many of us, that uh, once again the Holy Spirit will be active in our hearts and will truly tell us and speak to us powerfully what a great gift that we have in Jesus. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now recently, uh, I had a lot of trouble reading the newspaper. And uh, it's not because, you know, I'm getting old and uh, something wrong with my eyesight. Or that uh, I'm out of time, out of the, the uh, fashion of the times. You know, when I look at the newspaper, you know, it disagrees with me or something. No. I find that when I read the newspaper, I don't really enjoy it anymore. Because uh, whenever I look at the newspaper, it always seems to be full of bad news. Right? So you ever noticed that? So recently, you know, you look at the front page of the newspaper and then you see there's flooding everywhere. And then uh, you turn to the world section and then there are riots in Thailand or there's you know, ecological disaster with oil spills. Uh, you look at the home section and then there's uh, teenage delinquency and people getting slashed in Kalang. Then you look at the business section and then there's a recession and you know, people let, being let go and the COE is going up and the cost of living is going up. And then you look at the sports section and you find your favorite team has lost the, 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 you know, the match in the World Cup. So, you know, when you look at the newspaper, it's full of really bad news. And the reality is that actually, when you look at the newspaper, uh, the worse the news, the more it becomes news, isn't it? In fact, if it's not really bad news, it's not really news at all. So, you know, when you look at the newspaper, in many ways, they shouldn't call it the news, it's just bad news. But the interesting thing is, when you look at the Bible... It is so different from the newspaper because the Bible is all about good news. It's overwhelmingly about good news. And that is why uh, when you look at the, the four accounts about Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, uh, from about 400, sorry, 200 years after the death of Jesus, people were calling these books the Gospel. And the Gospel literally means the good news. So literally when you look at the Bible, the four accounts about Jesus is the gospel or the good news of Mark's account about Jesus, the good news of Matthew's account about Jesus, the good news of John's account about Jesus, the good news of Luke's account about Jesus. Now, obviously, very soon after the death of Jesus, people began to associate the name of Jesus with good news, which is not very different from the world that we live in, isn't it? Because, you know, when you, when you mention particular names, they become synonymous with particular ideas or uh, particular sports, isn't it? So when I say to you the name Pele, you can't help but sort of think soccer, right? World Cup football. If you don't know who Pele is, you need to uh, get into the mood of World Cup, right? Okay. Now, you know, if I say to you the word Federer or Nadal, right? Then you think, okay, you know, tennis. But obviously, if I say to you the words Tiger Woods. Well, maybe you, know, you don't think so much about golf anymore. Maybe you think about sex and adultery, right? Okay. So, you know, when you mention particular names, it's synonymous with a particular idea. So here, Jesus, when you look at the Bible, is synonymous with good news, isn't it? The good news of Jesus. And what I want to look at today is, why is Jesus such good news? Have you ever thought of, why is Jesus associated with the good news or the gospel? Now today, I want to just quickly look at the, the book of Luke. We're going to look at the birth of Jesus, and that's where, right from the very beginning of, of Jesus' birth, even before he's born, he's associated with 
good news. Okay, now I hope that by the end of the sermon, you'll be able to remember. Whenever I say Jesus, it means good news, okay? Now here, if you look up uh, Luke chapter 2, here's the announcement of Jesus' birth. Okay, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Now as you look at this passage, I want you to notice something very rare or even extraordinary or unique that happens with Jesus. You see, when you actually hear good news, it is very rare that this good news is for everyone, isn't it? But it says here, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Now isn't that extraordinary? Because usually when it's good news, it is not good news for all people. So tonight when England play Germany, right, at the end of the game there will be good news for one country, but there will be bad news for some other country, isn't it? And actually no matter what you do in this world, it will never be good news for everybody. So I lived many, many years of my life in Australia, so I follow Australian politics quite closely. And I was really surprised to read this week that uh, the Prime Minister, Kevin Rudd, uh, had resigned uh, just overnight. Here was the elected Prime Minister of Australia who presided over probably the only country in the world who escaped the worldwide recession, where there's record unemployment, and yet it is not good news for everybody. People are still unhappy and they replaced him with his deputy. See how unusual it is for there to be great news or good news for all people. It's a very, very, very rare event. So what is this good news that is so great for all the world? Well, it says there that the good news is that a saviour has been born to you, isn't it? Now, what the good news is, the content of the good news is that Jesus comes to save. Now, Savior is not a word that uh, we use very regularly in, uh, in our conversation. I'm not sure whether you used it recently. I haven't read it in the newspaper over the last uh, few times that I've read it. But in the Old Testament, Savior literally means deliverer. Okay? Now, it's not someone who uh, is like, you know, swims as a you know, as lifeguard or something, but literally a saviour is someone who delivers you from a particular problem, a threat, a great danger. So if you look up here in the Old Testament, Judges and Nehemiah, you can see the same word that's being used here, the word saviour. When they cried out to the Lord, he raised, up a, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othnal, son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother, who saved them. See, the saviour is one who delivers people from problems, right, or, or great danger. In Nehemiah chapter 9, But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heaven you heard them. And in your great compassion, you gave them deliverers, who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. Right? So in the Old Testament, the idea of saviour is not something that's new. It's something that God had been doing over the, the, the whole experience of His people, saving them, rescuing them, 
delivering them from problems. Now, I remember when I was uh, again studying in Australia, I went to a bus stop at night. Uh, I was doing martial arts class, right? And we finished quite late, so I went to the bus stop. And at the bus stop, uh, someone pulled a knife out on me, right? Obviously, all my martial arts didn't help then, okay? But just at that moment, my friend was there with me, who was also doing the martial arts class, and he looked at the guy, and just happened, and a few other people came to the bus stop as well. So then the man with the knife walked off. So here, my friend, and actually these strangers that came, they were my saviors, and they delivered me from this great danger of this man with a knife. I don't know whether he intended to rob me, or whether he was just a bit cuckoo, you know, because sometimes you meet people like that at the bus stop. But here, what the angel says is, Jesus is a, is a saviour, he's a deliverer who saves not just individuals one-on-one like me, but he saves the whole world. But as we, as we notice in this passage, this was a, a prophecy made at Jesus' birth, isn't it? Now, in the world that we live in, maybe I'm a bit cynical, but whenever someone tells you that they have really great news or good news, uh, when you actually hear the news or experience the news, you can find that it's quite uh, anticlimactic. You ever find that? It's like a bit of a, it's a bit uh, disappointing. So I remember, you know, Singapore said they're going to have the F1, Formula 1 race, right? And now it's in its uh, third year. But after a while, it's like, you know, okay lah, Formula 1, uh, more traffic jams, right? Right, it becomes a bit, it becomes a bit disappointing, isn't it? So, you know, I remember I was really looking forward to going to Universal Studios in Sentosa. And then my sister and, and, my, uh, and my father went there with their little children. And they said, oh, you know, don't worry lah. Nothing much lah. Yeah, you won't like it lah. Okay, so, you know, maybe even uh, the, now the, the new thing is the Marina Bay Sky Park, right? So maybe one day I'll, I'll go up there. Maybe we can have our family, uh, our church family day there, right? Okay, but I'm sure that even if you if you go up there and after all the expectations that you have, when you finally get up there, you you'll think this isn't as good as I thought it would be, right? That then it was too expensive, or it's a hazy day, or it's too hot, or it's too wet, or it's rainy, right? Or it's too windy. There's always something that's not right about it, isn't it? So as we look at this this prophecy about Jesus being good news of great joy for all the people, you might sort of think maybe it's a bit over the top. Maybe it's not that great news after all. And that's why we're going to move from the birth of Jesus all the way to his death, okay, which is the passage which was read for us in Luke chapter 22. And this passage uh, is all about Jesus talking about his death. Why Jesus has to die. Now, when you read the newspaper again, I always come back to the newspaper. You only read about people dying in the newspaper when what happens? Usually, you read about people dying in the newspaper, either they die really young, right? Some really tragic case of some baby or child who just died very suddenly before they had a chance to live their life. Uh, and I, I, uh, I had a friend of mine, I left work on Friday, I said good- goodbye to her, and then she died on Sunday. No, something really shocking like that, very sudden, which is really out of the blue and you don't expect it. Or you read the newspaper and it uh, talks about people dying, where there are lots of people who die altogether, isn't it? A plane crash, or uh, a lorry accident, like last week, or uh, uh, no, uh, a ferry sinks, 
But then here, if you look in the Bible, the news is all about just one person. Jesus dying. Or if you know, maybe there are two other people who died the same day on the cross next to him. But what is so special about Jesus' death? Well, to really understand what Jesus' death is all about, you have to bring it back to his birth, isn't it? Because on the day of his death, that is where the good news that was prophesied by the angels bears fruit. Where it comes to completion, where the good news has finally come. And to understand that, we need to look at this passage carefully because it keeps telling us over and over again when Jesus talks about his death and when his death is going to happen. And when does Jesus' death come about? It comes about here at the Passover. Now what is the Passover? Okay, what is the Passover about? They eat the Passover meal. Is it the same as the Americans eat the Thanksgiving meal? Right, or our Christmas lunch? No. The Passover is a bit like our National Day. Okay, it's a bit like our National Day. It's a day which remembers the birth of the Jewish nation. But it is more than a National Day. Because it also is a religious day. Because the birth of the Jewish nation is not just a secular thing that happens, but it comes about because God caused it to come about. It's a bit like if you combine our National Day on August 9th with Christmas Day. You know, it's, it's, it's that sort of thing. It's a religious day, but as well as a secular remembrance of the birth of the nation. And when you look at this passage, it reminds us that the death of Jesus has got something to do with the Passover. Now, many, many years ago, before the birth of the nation, God raised up His servant Moses. And through Moses, God spoke to His people, and He spoke to uh, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who was enslaving His people. And God said to Pharaoh, Let my people go. And Pharaoh said, No. And God then began a series of plagues, you know, all these different plagues, right, to let his people go. But Pharaoh every time said, no, no to God, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. Until finally, God said, I'm done speaking, I'm done with your rebellion, I'm going to show you what real judgment is, right, the gloves are coming off. And then what did he say to Pharaoh? He said, the firstborn of all your nation will die. Your animals, your, your, your slaves, your people, every family, the firstborn will die. From top to the bottom of society, all the firstborn will die. Now I want you to think about that for a moment because we often just brush through that and say, yeah, okay, firstborn will die, no problem, right? Now, in your own family, who is the firstborn? In, 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 your, in, your, in your relatives, who is the firstborn? And what would happen if, they, if that person died? And uh, imagine the trauma that would have if all these people died on the same day. Uh, looking at my family, well, I would be dead, okay? My, my son Joshua would be dead too. And, uh, you know, I imagine death, uh, when it happens, is a very traumatic thing, isn't it? Uh, my mother-in-law passed away a few years ago. My father-in-law passed away a few years ago. My mom passed away a few years ago. Every time someone dies, it's a trauma to the whole family. But I can't imagine what it would be like if I died, my, my son died, uh, and other people died all on the same day. How traumatic it would be, isn't it? 
But God was sending a clear message of how firm His judgment would be, isn't it? And God said to His own people, if you want to escape this judgment, you've got to get a lamb, you've got to kill the lamb and paint its blood on the doorpost, and then my angel, the, the angel who brings death, would, would pass over your family and leave the firstborn to live. And that's what Jesus is, isn't it? That's, what Jesus, that's why Jesus talks about his death during the Passover meal. Because he is saying that the Passover event is actually pointing towards him. He is the Passover lamb. But instead of just passing over the death of the firstborn, he is passing over all who trust of him on Judgment Day. Because it says here very clearly, isn't it? That this is my body given for you. Which means that every person will actually face judgment. And everybody needs a Passover lamb, not just the firstborn. And that's why it is such good news, isn't it? Because Jesus has given his body as a Passover lamb for each and everybody that, that wants it. You know, again, if you come back to the news, we're often very impressed when people sacrifice for other people because it's very rare. So I remember in 2002, you remember uh, Andrea de Cruz? She was this actress and then uh, she needed a liver, a liver transplant because uh, her li- she was experiencing liver failure. And then her then fiancé, Pierre Peng, decided to give up some or part of, or all of his liver, I can't remember how it works now, in order so that she might live. Do you remember that? And that was such big news then. I remember it was in the news for weeks and weeks, isn't it? Because here was this man who was willing to give up you know, his liver for his fiancé so that she would be able to live. But think about what Jesus does then. Because Jesus doesn't give up his liver so that we can live, uh, you know, maybe 40 or 50 years longer. He gives up his whole life. He gave, you know, that's what the passage says, he gives his whole body for not just one person, but for the whole world, isn't it? And he gives not just a body part so that we may live for 40 or 50 more years. He gives his whole body so that we may live forever and escape judgment and live for eternity with God at peace. Isn't that great news? I mean, if we think it's good news that Andre de Cruz was saved by Pierre Peng, then isn't it greater news that Jesus dies for the whole world and gives up his body so that we may live for eternity in peace with God? But it goes on, isn't it? Because right at the very last section, he says a very strange thing. He says, okay, we can understand how he gives his body so that we can have eternal life and forgiveness. But look what he says here. This cup is the new covenant in, or, sorry, is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. I wonder whether you've ever thought about that, 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 that sentence that Jesus spoke. I mean, because if it was you or me, we might say, okay, this is my body given for you. And I'm eating drinking Ribena, right? This is my blood given for you. But why does he say, this is the blood of the new covenant which is given for you? Why the new covenant given for you? Well, it is because Jesus' death 
actually brings us into a new relationship with God. Uh, you know what a covenant is? Do you know what a covenant is? A covenant is a contract between us and God. It's like a treaty between us and God. And a covenant is usually made in the ancient world between a, a superior, stronger party and a weaker party. Okay, that's what a covenant is. And God had said that He would give people a new covenant, a new treaty. Because the old treaty with the Jews was going to be superseded. And in Jeremiah 31, which is up here, uh, this is the prophecy of the new covenant that would be made. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with, your for- with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because I broke, they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my law in their hearts and write it, sorry, in their minds and write it in their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. See, in the ancient world, in order for a treaty or a covenant to be ratified, you needed blood. You needed the blood of an of a animal in order to say that this treaty comes into effect. It's a bit like the way we sign a document. You know, you, if you ever have a mortgage or a car loan, you've got to sign for it. It's very scary, right? Because, you know, you look at all the numbers and you think, my goodness, I've got to pay for all this for the rest of my life, right? But then you sign it and it becomes legal. That's it. It's in effect. But in the ancient world, what they required was blood. The blood of a sacrificial animal to ratify that covenant. And here Jesus says that His blood brings into effect a new treaty between God and man. And what is this treaty? Well, this treaty is very clear. It has two effects, really. One is, people will be changed from the inside. They will, they will want to obey God's law. They will want to be God's people. They will want to be His children. Notice what it says there. It says there very clearly, I'll put their law in their minds and I will write it in their hearts. God knows that we have trouble following Him. God knows that it is difficult for us to always want to be His children. So God steps in and says, I will give you the Holy Spirit, I will write it in your hearts, I will write it in your minds, and you will want to be my children. But being God's children is useless unless there's forgiveness, isn't it? But as part of this new treaty again, He says, I will forgive their wickedness. See, we always think of Jesus' death, or I don't know, maybe, maybe not you, but me, right? I always think of Jesus' death. Jesus died for me. Maybe it's the age that we live in, right? Very individualistic. Jesus died on the cross for me, right? But actually, Jesus' death does a lot more, isn't it? It brings in a whole new age where God and man relate differently. Where God forgives us. God steps in and helps us to live as His children. So today I want you to ask yourself, 
What is the last time that you heard really good news? What is good news for you? Is good news getting a raise? Good news getting a job? Get good news, you know? It's some other thing. What is good news for you? Well, here is good news of great joy for all the world. And as you read about Jesus, it is an invitation to accept this good news. Now, my grandfather uh, turned 90 this year. We celebrated his birthday. And uh, his wife died a few decades ago. Uh, my mum, who was his daughter, passed away from cancer, with cancer two years ago. His uh, eldest son uh, is uh, suffering from advanced cancer in Switzerland. He has swelling in his legs, so he has problems walking. He has trouble breathing. There isn't much good news for my grandfather. Uh, he doesn't really care who wins the World Cup. right? And uh, when he looks at the newspaper, he also doesn't care if there's unemployment going up or uh, the growth rate is uh, going down. Right? Because he really doesn't need much to live on. And uh, he, I don't think he really cares about what's happening at the integrated resort because I don't think he'll ever get out there. Right? or go to the sky park. But the really only good news for my grandfather is the good news of Jesus. Because in Jesus, he has found a saviour. In Jesus, he knows that he has had God's child die for him. In Jesus, he knows that he has been passed over when it comes to death and judgment. In Jesus, he knows that he has the Holy Spirit. In Jesus, he knows that he has received total and complete forgiveness and pardon. At the end of the day, there's only one good news in the world. Because all other good news pale in comparison. All other good news is short term. And all other good news will pass away. But only one piece of good news is eternal. That Jesus died for us on the cross. And He is our Passover Lamb. And He has brought God's kingdom to us. And we can now be at peace with God forever. So what is good news to you? Let's go to God in prayer. Dear loving and heavenly Father, as we come before you today, help us to think your thoughts. Help us to live as your people. Help us to see that the good news that you bring in Jesus is truly good news of great joy for all people. That it surpasses any good news that we can receive in our life today and tomorrow. Because each and every one of us will face death and judgment without the good news of Jesus. That you sent your Son, Jesus, and He was Christ the Lord, and yet He came to die for us as our Saviour. He came to deliver us from hell. He came to deliver us and rescue us from judgment. He came to save us from death. Help us therefore to always have great joy as we remember this good news that we have in our hearts. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.